All right. Uh, welcome to Christ Community. We are thrilled that you are here. Uh, you know, this church has so many cool things going on. It's, it's hard to just keep everyone up to date on what's happening. But uh, one of the things we got going on, we've got a team actually in Cairo um, right now, um, and uh, they're doing an ITI, which is an international training institute, um, where we get to train pastors and church leaders. Then they're going to Kenya to do this training as well. And so that's a lot of fun. You can be praying about praying for that team. And we also, just this week, uh, because of your generosity, we're able to distribute a gift to the Syrian, our Syrian partners in Syria who are working with the refugees. And so good job, Christ community, uh, your generosity is continuing to make an impact, and so way to go. Um, it's just fun, just fun being a part of all that. Um, uh, not long ago, I heard about a, a, uh, a professor, a sociology professor at the University of Pennsylvania, who on the first day of class, he began his class by asking um, an unsuspecting student. He stopped the class. I mean, he just started with the class just by pointing to a student, and he, and he asked the student, how long have you lived? And the student said, well, I'm, I'm 22. And the professor said, no, no, no. What you've told me is how long your heart has been pumping blood. That's not what I asked. My question was, how long have you lived? He then proceeded, the professor then proceeded to tell a story about how when he was in the ninth grade, his class took a trip to New York City. And as they were headed up the, the um, elevator um, to the top of the Empire State Building, he was doing what typical ninth grade boys are doing, you know, teasing girls and messing around, all this stuff. But when he got to the top, he looked out at the view and he was overwhelmed by the magnificence of what he saw. In stunned reverence, he just took it all in. He said that in that one mystical moment, he felt fully alive. He felt that if he were to live a million years, that moment would be a part, would still be a part of his consciousness. So after telling that story, he looked at the same student and he said, asked the same question. So how long have you lived? student responded, well, when you put it that way, Doc, maybe a couple minutes. Most of my life has been the meaningless passage of time between all too few moments of genuine aliveness. So what about you? What about you and me? How long have you lived? Do you feel fully alive we are in the midst of a, a, a teaching series entitled Life Inspired. And in this series, we are talking about that very question. What does it look like to be fully alive? What would it look like to not simply exist, but to live, to pump up the color, the resolution, the volume, the purpose, the passion, the joy in your life? In other words, to live a life inspired. That's the question we're trying to go after. And it's a question that the Bible is uniquely qualified to answer. And so in this series, we've been looking at people in the Bible who were living an uninspired life, and then they were awakened to a life inspired. And what we're learning is that a life inspired is rooted in three core realities, embracing something, experiencing something, and engaging in something. So in the first few weeks of this series, we talked about the life-giving power of embracing the gospel. 
living every day in the fullness of what Jesus has done for us, that the reality that we are his beloved children. And then in the second part of this series, we're focusing on the life-inspiring power of experiencing the Spirit. Experiencing the Spirit, being awakened to the reality that the very Spirit of God lives in us. He wants to speak to us. We talked about that. He wants to demonstrate his power through us. We talked about that. And he wants to connect us in community, in meaningful relationships. And last week, I shared about our vision for e-groups, which are designed for that very purpose, to embrace the gospel, experience the Spirit, and engage in mission, which we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But you can, you can find out more information at the next area. You can go online, but we're, or if you want to watch the message, if you didn't see the message or weren't here, we encourage you to watch it because it's a, it's a critical part of our vision. And I'm really, really excited about this. Well, today we're going to talk about another facet of this experiencing the spirit thing. What, is, what does it look like to experience a spirit-fueled, inspired life? Another facet of this. And in order to do that, we're going to focus not on an individual, but we're going to focus on a group of people, an entire church, actually. This particular church was located in the city of Corinth. And uh, just so you know, Corinth was, was a city of self-indulgence. It, had, it, was, it had two ports there and had material prosperity and lots of sexual immorality. In fact, over time, Greeks started to use the word Corinthianize to describe a life of immorality and drunkenness. You know, sort of a, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, kind of a, a reputation. So in many respects, Corinth was very similar to what's happening in our nation today. Material prosperity, rampant sexual immorality, fueled by pleasure and self-indulgence. So we learn in Acts chapter 18, we learn that Paul visited the city of Corinth and he began to preach the gospel. Many people came to Christ and so he helped form and establish a church there. Paul spent over a year and a half helping this church get started. And then he left to continue his ministry elsewhere. But he kept in contact with this church through letters. And one of these letters, we have two of these letters in the New Testament, actually. One is, is the letter of 1 Corinthians. And what we discover in the letter of 1 Corinthians is that this church was a mess. This church was a total mess. Just like in their city... There was blatant sexual immorality going on, and no one was addressing it. People in the church were suing each other. Rather than working through their conflicts personally, they were going to a judge to, to, with their disputes. They were, they were even fighting over the Lord's Supper. Some of them were coming early and getting drunk on, on the Lord's Supper um, stuff. And, and, and so the church, it was a mess. It was a mess. And the primary reason it was a mess was because of their blatant self-centeredness, their self-indulgence. When self is the focus of our lives, it wreaks havoc in our relationships, in our level of joy, in our vulnerability to, to sexual sin. Here's the bottom line. Self-absorption leads to misery. It does. Self-absorption leads to misery. 
I mean, we see this so vividly in our culture today. I mean, we, we live in the most materially blessed country in the history of humanity. We have the most creature comforts of any society in history. And yet there is a deep dissatisfaction with life. The amount of complaining that we do, I mean, it's just uh, the, the problems we have, you know, that seem so big as our, our phone app won't work, you know, and things like that. And our, our flight was 15 minutes late, you know. We just flew across the country, you know, in like four hours, and it took a stagecoach, whatever, three months to do that, you know, uh, decades ago. But we're, we're complaining because it was 15 minutes late. I mean, so this is our society, you know, in terms of our level of joy, addictions are at an all-time high. The level of anger is off the charts. I mean, we see it on social media, in terms of Facebook responses sometimes. We see it, you know, when driving. Relational problems are rampant. I mean, marriage is falling apart. Tension among coworkers. Politicians are unwilling to dialogue. People would rather sue each other than actually resolve conflict. This is our culture. I mean, as a culture... For the most part, we are, in, we are entitled, we are selfish, we, are, we blame, we're narcissistic. See, that's what happens. That's what happens when self-indulgence is encouraged and pursued. Rather than bringing life, it actually robs us of life. It robs us of life. You know, this is the time of year when, when families start to think about Thanksgiving vacation, right? And Christmas vacation. Oh, kids out of school. Won't that be awesome? It's going to be so fun. And it is for a few days. Um, and then the kids start to get bored and they start fighting with each other and they don't want to help around the house. And mom and dad suddenly can't wait for vacation to be over. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Parents here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every parent here has lived this. This is human nature. That's just a microcosm of human nature. The more self time we have just to focus on ourselves, the more miserable we become. <clears throat> Henry Cloud, um, author Henry Cloud describes it this way. He says, people who pursue, people who only pursue their own happiness above all else are some of the most miserable people you will ever meet. Let me read that again. People who only pursue their own happiness above all else are some of the most miserable people you will ever meet. Self-absorption leads to misery. Even though we long for a life, we all long for this, right? A life where we can just sit back and do whatever we want, where we can pamper ourselves and focus on ourselves. We long for that kind of a life, right? And, and, but that life very soon leads to boredom to emptiness, to, to relational distance, to, to decreasing joy. Certainly not to a life inspired. This, this uninspired, self-indulgent life is what we see happening to the Corinthians uh, there in, in the Corinthian church. And it, it's often what we see happening in our own lives as well. So what's the answer? How do we break out of our tendency towards self-absorption to experience life-inspired? Well, Paul shows us in this letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 12, he calls this church to a powerful antidote to self-absorption. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
Now, this word translated service is, I think, more accurately translated ministry. When you look at the original language, ministry, it refers not simply to serving in general. There's another word that could be used for serving in general. It rather refers to serving within the body of Christ. That's what ministry is from a New Testament perspective. It is serving within the body of Christ and and building up the body of Christ. See, see what Paul is saying to these Corinthian believers who have become self-absorbed, what he's saying to them is this. While self-absorption leads to misery, inspiration is found in ministry. Inspiration is found in ministry. There's something incredibly inspiring and life-giving when we give ourselves in ministry to others. Paul is, is calling the Corinthian believers, he is calling the Corinthian believers to change the trajectory of their spiritual experience. And this is a huge change. Because here's what he's calling them to do. He's wanting them to change the trajectory of their spiritual experience from an inward focus to an outward focus. In other words, from a, how can this church meet my needs, to a, how can I minister here? And folks, that is a radical shift in perspective. And it's an incredibly life-giving one. It's an incredibly inspiring one. When we view the church only through the lens of a consumer, how can this church meet my needs, Um, We we miss a God-given context and opportunity to have our lives inspired through ministry. It's that powerful. Really, it is that powerful. Well, so, so in this 1 Corinthians 12 passage, Paul vividly describes for us three inspiring truths that we need to know about ministry. First truth is this. You are empowered for ministry. You are empowered for ministry. Look with me, beginning in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. <clears throat> there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, i.e. ministries, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. It's for the common good. We can help each other. Now, notice how Paul emphasizes the fact that everyone has a ministry. Look again at this last line. A spiritual gift is given to each of us for the common good so that we can help others. Each of us, everyone has a ministry. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone has a place of service in the body, in in the church. Now, notice from where this ministry comes. Twice in these verses, Paul says that it is the Spirit that does this in us. It is the Spirit that is doing this. In other words, you are empowered by the Spirit for ministry. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the Spirit does. He fills us with his power, and that includes you, every one of you. It includes you. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us don't believe that. A lot of us do not believe this. We hear this and we think to ourselves, not me. (laughs) That doesn't include me. 
I'm not empowered for ministry. I'm too sinful. I'm too new to the faith. I'm too much of an introvert. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm, I'm, and the list goes on and on and on. All the reasons why we tell ourselves that we are not empowered for, by the Spirit for ministry. And all of them are lies. All of them are lies. They are lies. They are exactly what Satan wants you and me to believe. Because when we believe these lies, guess what? We take ourselves out of the game. When we believe these lies, we take ourselves out. No one else takes us out of the game. We take ourselves out of the game. We choose to sit on the bench. We miss out on ministry opportunities, opportunities to bless other people, opportunities to build up this amazing body of Christ, Jesus' body. But we miss out on that all because we're convinced we have nothing to offer. Some of us here, some of us here, the most powerful thing we could do is to go home after the service, go home and read this verse out loud slowly about 20 times until it starts to sink in. Look at it again, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, let's read this verse out loud together, okay? Read this out loud with me. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To each of us, no one is excluded. No one is excluded. No one in the church is excluded. The Spirit has empowered you for ministry. That's the truth. The, 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 the longer we sit in our self-condemnation, our self-hatred, our false humility, the longer we do that is the longer we're going to miss out on what God has called and empowered us to do. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, no matter how new you are to the faith or how long you've been a Christian, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry. Period. There are no ifs or buts about it. This, this, is, this is not about your worthiness. It's not about your personality. It's not about your training or whatever. This is something the Spirit of God has empowered you to do. I mean, talk about inspiring. You, every one of you here, you have been called and empowered by God to minister to others. It's cool. Second life-giving ministry, um, excuse me, life-inspiring truth that Paul asserts in this passage is this. You, you are gifted for ministry. Not only are you empowered for ministry, you are gifted for ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but that word gifted can be a bit loaded, right? Are you gifted? gifted. Um, you know, I remember in third grade being pulled out of class one day to be tested for some gifted group, you know, to go on field, special field trips and be in a special class with, with other really, really, really smart kids. I mean, that's what I hear happens um, because I never found out. I never got called out of class again. Okay. <laughs> Apparently I wasn't gifted, right? But I'm not bitter. But um, seriously, <clears throat> Maybe I need healing and memories for that. But seriously, there is something, there, 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 there's sometimes this, this elite um, uh, status given to being gifted and talented, right? But, but check out Paul's perspective. Look at this, beginning of verse 7. Or you can listen as I read this, or if you have your Bible there. 
a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. We already read that. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to, to, to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, one, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. This is awesome. See, Paul is saying that in the church, everyone is gifted and talented. In the church, everyone is gifted and talented. Everyone is in that special group. Everyone has a gift given to them by God to be used to build up God's people. Now, I love the word Paul uses here in this chapter to describe these gifts. It's the Greek word charisma. And I'm, I'm not trying to geek out on Greek here. This is really important, okay? The, the, the word char charisma comes from the Greek word charis, from, uh, which, which means grace. It's very important. New Testament word, grace. Undeserved favor. It is God lavishing on us, bestowing on us his favor, his blessings, his salvation, not because we deserve it, not because it is earned. Grace is completely undeserved. That's charis, that's grace. Now, Paul takes this charis, this grace word, and then he adds a suffix to it, ma, which speaks of a specific result of this grace. So what Paul is saying is that these abilities, these supernatural capacities that, that we all have, these, these things are really gracelets. They are gracelets. They are gifts of grace. They are not earned. They are not given only to a select few. They are given to everyone in the body of Christ. And the spirit determines who gets what gift, which means there is no room. It's all about grace, right? So there's no room for boasting. Oh, look at the gift I have. There's no room for comparing or feeling bad because we don't have a gift that someone else has. No, each one of us has been given by God these gracelets, these gifts as he determines. Now, what Paul emphasizes here throughout this passage is the diversity of these gifts. There are many different gifts that God gives within the body of Christ. Paul lists some of them here, but this is not an, a, a comprehensive list. There are other passages that list other gifts, include some of these. And then uh, I'm sure there are spiritual gifts that aren't even mentioned in, in Scripture. There, there's no intention to just do a comprehensive list, make sure that this is the only list here, and it's got to be these seven or these 13 or whatever. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening here in these passages. There's this, the emphasis is on the diversity. There's a huge diversity. But let me, so let me describe some of the gifts that are talked about in various passages in the New Testament, just to give us a feel for the amount of diversity in this, in this gifting of the Spirit that he distributes. So one I'll mention is the spiritual gift of administration. A person with this gift is able to organize things and keep track of details in order to make ministry happen. Praise God for this gift, right? Uh, another spiritual gift mentioned in the New Testament is leadership. A person with the, the gift of leadership is able to help lead and direct a ministry. 
Paul mentions the gift of faith, which is the supernatural capacity to believe God for big things. There's the gift of wisdom, which is a supernatural capacity to know how to respond in in certain situations. There are gifts of healing. A person with this gift often sees people healed when they pray for them. There's a gift of prophecy, which is the supernatural ability to hear something from God and then release that to another person in a way that encourages and comforts and strengthens them. There's the spiritual gift of giving. I mean, we're, and all these gifts, we're, we're, we're all called to give and we're all called to serve and all these things. But, but people with a gift, like a gift of giving, they, they just, they have this supernatural capacity. I mean, they're, they're, other people are giving 10%, they're 30, 40%. They're just, you know, and, and maybe they have this capacity just to, to make money and invest it in kingdom things. I mean, that's a person with a gift of giving or a gift of, the gift of teaching is mentioned, the gift of mercy, the gift of service. Again, all of us are supposed to have mercy and serve, but people with these gifts, they have a supernatural capacity in that, in that, in that area that is God-given. It's really, really cool. So there are lots of, those are just some of the gifts mentioned, lots of incredible gifts, supernatural capacities that the Spirit has distributed in the church, in the body of Christ. Each one of us has at least one of these gifts, probably more in varying degrees. So think of that. You are gifted for ministry. You're in the gifted and talented group. You are gifted for ministry. The Spirit has given to you at least one spiritual gift to be used in ministry to others. And what what Paul is describing here is such a cool picture of the church, the gathered people of God. Within this body, everyone has something to contribute. Within this body, everyone has something to offer. Now, here's the really cool thing, I think, about spiritual gifts. When, when you have a spiritual gift in something, you enjoy using that gift. You're, you're good at it. It brings joy to you to serve in this way. Ministry, when you're functioning in your area of giftedness, ministry is not this begrudging experience where you're forced to do things you don't really like to do. Ministry is an opportunity for you to, for you to use gifts that you've been given now, that, that doesn't mean, just a little qualifier here, that doesn't mean that ministry is always rosy and happy and never difficult. I mean, sometimes ministry involves doing things we don't really want to do. Just as in a family, everyone has certain chores, right, um, that they're responsible for. We're a family, and, and, and all of us are needed to pitch in at certain times and do things that maybe we're not necessarily thrilled about doing. But that doesn't change the fact that when we are operating in an area of giftedness, ministry is really enjoyable and, and life-giving, even inspiring. Inspiring. I was talking with one of our, our uh, prayer team volunteers the other day, and this person served recently at our Quiet Waters event a couple weeks ago. And they, had, they were placed in a ministry context that was new to them. They'd never done this, this particular thing before. And as they were ministering in this context, they came alive. I talked to other people that were with them. But they came alive. It was like a fire was lit in their hearts. And they, they, later, man, that, that was amazing. I love that. I mean, they, they, they discovered a prayer gifting they had, and it made them come alive. It made them come alive. When you discover a gift God has given you and you begin using that gift to bless and help others, there, there's nothing like that experience. 
Nothing like it. I mean, inwardly, you, you have this sense, man, I, I was made for this. I love this. I was made for this. Have, have you had an experience like that in ministry? If not, perhaps the issue for you is discovering what your gifting is. So how do we do that? How do we discover what our spiritual gifts are? Well, there are a couple of things I would mention. One, there, there, there's a, there are spiritual gifts te- assessments or tests that you can take. Uh, one that we have used often around here is at uh, www.uniquelyyou.com. Uniquely you. Dot com. You can check that out. Um, it's like $18, and the test, um, uh, they're, they're tests where it includes your personality profile as well as your gifting, and then it gives some detailed information about certain things. So that, that's one possibility. It can be helpful. Another thing that can be helpful is to ask people who know you well, ask them what gifts they see in you. And by the way, if you're in an e-group and are doing the sermon-based questions, you're going to be doing this in your group. This week, sharing what spiritual gifts you see in each of the other people in the group. Take good notes, okay? Because that's a good way to discover gifting. But honestly, honestly, those are, those are helpful. But I think the best way to determine your spiritual gifts is to just jump into ministry and start, ser- start serving. Start serving in an area you're interested in. You will soon discover what you're good at um, and, and what you enjoy. And you're also going to quickly discover what you don't really like that much. And that's okay. It's okay to discover that. The key, though, is to jump in. That's the best way. That's how you learn to drive, right? It's not, it's not by just watching videos about drivers. You learn to drive by driving. And you learn what your spiritual gifts are by doing. You, you learn by, by doing things, by doing ministry, and in that process, discover. Maybe you're a person who, who loves meeting new people. You love meeting new people and, and you love welcoming people into your home and having parties. That's awesome. We have a place for you in our ushers and greeters ministry. We have a place for you where you can use that gift. Or maybe you're someone who loves music. Music is your language and your art. You sing, you play an instrument, and you don't want to keep that hidden. We have a place for you in our worship arts ministry. Or maybe you're someone who geeks out on technology and, and you could help in terms of the, the, the technology aspect of all the things going on around here. Maybe you're someone who loves kids and being with children energizes your soul. If that's you, we have a place for you. In Kids Connection, which is our elementary age uh, children's ministry, or Tiny Tots, which is our, our preschool ministry. Maybe you love teenagers encouraging the next generation to stand and thrive and, and live. That's something that you're gifted in. We have opportunities for you through our C3 youth ministry. I could go on and on and on. See, the ministry of Jesus is all about people. And for as many different kinds of needs there are, Jesus is inspiring and gifting people in our church to meet those needs. It's cool. So if you're interested in exploring an area of ministry, just kind of jumping in, um, feel free to talk to someone in the next area, or you can write your area of interest on a, on a Connect card. Um, and give that to uh, someone at the next area. Um, you can also sign up for um, some of our ministries on our website. So if you go to our website, there's a big banner, green serving banner. It says, I want to serve or something like that. And you can go on there and there's a form you can fill. I just indicate your interest and we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Now, the cool thing is about this, the cool thing is many of these ministries are happening when you're here anyway for church, right? You're already here worshiping 
And so why not serve on, a, on some ministry rotation while you're already here for worship? Most, most of our commitments are like once a month commitments. Okay, so remember, you're empowered for ministry and you're gifted for ministry. You're gifted in ministry, which leads to the third truth that Paul communicates in this passage. You are needed in ministry. You are needed in ministry. Throughout this passage, Paul uses a very powerful analogy to make his point. It's the imagery of a physical body. Look with me beginning in verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, they were all the same part, where would the body be? This is such a simple and yet profound analogy. I mean, we all realize that every part of our body is needed for it to function properly. The eye, our eyes need our ears. Otherwise, the body might step out into traffic without hearing horns honk, right? The different parts of the body need each other. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ. Every part is needed. Every gift is needed. No part can say, I'm not needed here. I don't belong here. No, God has given you gifts that are important for this body. Gifts that can help build up this body. Without these gifts being used, the body is not able to function on all cylinders. Same thing happens in our physical body. It's the same way in the church. The body of Christ is not able to function on all cylinders. Ministry that should have happened doesn't happen. Remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey gets to see what life would be like if he hadn't been born? Um, the impact is significant. Spoiler alert, although I'm, I'm sure everyone has seen that. I'm always amazed though when people say, I've never seen that movie. Um, it's only on like 400 times every December, but um, it's a fantastic movie. We watch it every year as a family, but spoiler alert here, okay? What we discover is that George Bailey, if he hadn't been born... He wouldn't have been there to save his younger brother from drowning, which means his, his younger brother wouldn't have been there during the war to save, you know, to shoot down some airplane that was going to destroy a, 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 some a carrier or something. And, 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 and so hundreds of, of people died in that because the younger brother wasn't there because George hadn't been there to save him. And all these pieces that hinge on the other. Now, I realize that that's Hollywood you know, and, and, that, and that, that story is, is fictional. But what Paul is describing here, it's not fiction. This is not fictional. The church is God's plan to impact the world. You can read that for yourself in the New Testament. It is clear. The church is God's plan to, re, to impact the world. It is his plan to help people grow in community and to help people grow spiritually. This is God's A, plan A, is the church. And we're not perfect at all, but it's still his plan. The church is a place where hurting people can find help. 
It's a place where lonely people can find a family. It's a place where where proud people can grow in humility. It's a place where marriages can be restored, where forgiveness can be demonstrated, where lives can be changed by the power of the gospel. That's what the church is to be about. It's incredibly inspiring. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a group like that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a group that's doing stuff like that? You see, this is the genius of God's design. You are needed to make these things happen. You, every one of you, is needed to make these things happen. I mean, you never know on a typical weekend at Christ Community, you never know who is walking through these doors. Someone whose spouse just told them last night that she wants out of the marriage. Someone whose teenager is battling drug addiction and this person doesn't want to tell anyone because they're just too broken about it. A child who feels alone and unlovable. See, we never know who's walking through these doors. When you're involved in ministry, you have an opportunity to love them. You have an opportunity to touch them, to minister to them with the love of Jesus. See, ministry enables us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we get to be a part of this, doing this together as a community. We're not just alone, we're we're a part of a body, which makes it even more fun. So, So let me just ask, what are your gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? What is God calling you to do And if you know what that is, are you doing it? Are you using those gifts to build up this body? And if you don't know what those gifts are, are you willing to jump in and begin discovering those gifts? See, I want you to hear, I want everyone here to hear this loud and clear. We need you. The body of Christ needs you. You, you have gifts to offer. You have love to offer, words of encouragement to offer. When each of us are doing our part, the body of Christ gets built up. People get ministered to, lives are changed. That's God's plan. And it's an incredibly inspiring way to live. It really is. The the choice though is ours. It's each one of ours. A self-absorbed life will lead to emptiness and boredom. But inspiration comes from ministry, from giving of our time, our gifts, our hearts, in order to see Jesus' body, the church, grow healthier and stronger. Again, the choice is ours. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. And uh, just these truths, these incredible truths. Lord, we, we, all, we, we all confess our tendency is towards self-indulgence. It just is. It's towards self-absorption. We admit it. And yet we also know that when we live that way, it really is miserable after a while. It doesn't fill us with joy. So we thank you that you recognize that and you call us to some you call us out of that to something inspiring. 
And so I want to thank you, first of all, Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that every person here is empowered for ministry in the body. Every person here that has placed their trust in Jesus, you are empowered for ministry. Thank you for that truth, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us. And so I want to pray that each one of us would grasp this and we would stop listening to the lies that we're not equipped and we don't have the right personality and we haven't been a Christian long enough and we're not this and we're not this. And I just prayed that we would turn, the, we would recognize those lies for what they are. Those are things that are taking us out of the game because we're believing them. And I pray, Lord, for those of us here who have taken ourselves out of the game for whatever reason, I pray that we would hear afresh that we are empowered by you for ministry. And I thank you, too, for this amazing truth that we're gifted. Every one of us here is in the gifted and talented group. We are gifted. You've, you've distributed these gifts the way you want to distribute them. And so I pray, Lord, for every person here to discover those gifts, to discover their ministry in the body where you are calling them to serve. Lord, you know if there are gifts here, that are that people are aware, but they're just kind of they become dormant for whatever reason, and there's no guilt or shame in that. We've all done that, but I just pray you would reawaken those, a desire to use those gifts. So I pray for that to be awakened in us. And for those here who who don't know what their spiritual gifts are, I pray you just give them a an interest in a particular ministry, and then to begin waiting in and serving in that way, and that they'd be just begin discovering how you've wired them and the gifts they have. And Lord, I pray too for just this, I pray too for this sense of all of us realizing we're a part of a body. And when we take ourselves out of the game, the whole body suffers, that we are needed, not, not in a, oh, the church is so needy sort of a way. No, it's not that, it's we are needed because we have things to offer. And the body of Christ misses those things when we're not using those. So I pray just for this, this wonderful realization that each one of us here, we're needed. And that we would grow in, in this heartbeat as a church just to serve and to minister, when, when we, to be a part of a ministry here so that every person who walks in these doors finds you and finds life and experiences a loving community. We pray for that. That's, that's all of our heartbeat for this church. And so we pray for that. Thank you that each one of us are a critical part of that. Mm. We love you. Holy Spirit, would you come just in increasing measure, just impart gifts and, and, and passions here to serve. We just thank you for your presence here. I praise you, Lord. So we have an opportunity now to worship, to respond to this message in worship, to open our hearts to the, to the Spirit, to the work of the Spirit through the Lord Jesus, just in worship. And so I want to encourage us as we, as we sing that our hearts would be open to all that God wants to do. So why don't we stand? If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. Let's begin standing. So Lord, set us free to worship you. And we recognize that a part of worship is offering ourselves to you. 
And so we want to do that right now. We offer ourselves to you. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord.